Well, good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? All right, it's good to have you guys with us today. Um, and if you're just joining us, and maybe you're new or newer to Thrive Church, today's your perfect day. I actually have lunch for you. Seriously, um, we have something we do uh, each month called the Connect Gathering for all new guests or people who are new to Thrive but haven't connected beyond a Sunday experience. We have firehouse subs for you. After the worship experience today, it's going to be in the cafe. I want to talk to you about what Thrive Church is all about and tell you more about it. We have child care available as well. Uh, so if you've not made plans to attend, just come on. We've got room for you, and we've got extra food for you. So if you just joined us today, too, guess what? We're kicking off a brand new series called Chasing Carrots. And I'm so excited about this series because we're going to look at the things in life that we end up chasing that when we get them— they actually leave us empty inside. And today's message uh, up front is going to seem like it doesn't apply to you, but it's actually something that all of us struggle with greatly, especially in our culture today, and it's the carrot of fame. You're like, I don't, I don't want to be famous. This has nothing to do with me. Trust me. 10 to 12-year-olds were surveyed. They said the number one thing they wanted, 10 to 12-year-olds, wasn't financial security. It wasn't more stuff like PlayStations and all that, they wanted to be famous. Another study showed us that one out of nine people would disown their family in order to be famous for the sake of just being famous. Some of you are like, no, 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 no. I, like, I don't even need that much to disown my family. I'm kidding. <laughs> but another study showed that one out of three millennials would quit their job today just for the sake of being famous, just to be famous. And then probably the most surprising stat was some of the Gen X crowd um, kind of backs up to right, right where I'm at, the 22 to 37-year-olds. Stats said and showed us that 50% of them believe their life is so awesome and they're so amazing, it should be made into a movie. <laughs> now you guys are laughing or laughing at the ones that, that believe that. But today I want you to understand something. I know I, I teased those stats out to you, but every one of us in here struggle with the idea of fame. Maybe not macro cravings, not like this, but maybe you don't want to be an American Idol. Maybe you don't even want to like have your name in lights or any of that stuff. But maybe for you, it's a micro craving for fame. And, and what is that? Fame is attention from people. It's feeling valued and validated. People give you validation. It's where you, you find in life the things that you think you want. You're trying to get it from people. And that's what happens to us. I call it micro-cravings of fame, that we want the attention. See, we live in a, in, a, in a world of social media that we are drawn to loves and likes. And you're looking at how many people liked it and who didn't like it. And I'm looking at who wished me a birthday, who hasn't liked my child's pictures in a year on social. That means they probably don't like me anymore, right? That's what I do. I'm like, wow, so that person just hasn't liked, so I guess they just don't like me anymore. That's the micro cravings of fame. And so as we kick off this series today, if you're feeling like, yeah, that may be me, or I've not convinced you yet, you're in good company if you think that's you. Because there was a guy in the Bible who actually chased the carrot of fame. He has an amazing story about it. His name's Solomon. He was the third king of Israel. And he was the wisest man ever, according to God. And not only that, but he actually did something that was pretty amazing in his time. 
He was giving the task of building the Jewish temple, the first one ever that was solid, that didn't move around. They were always moving from place to place. And he was given this task. And look what it says in 1 Chronicles 22, verse 5. David said, My son Solomon is still young and inexperienced. And since the temple to be built for the Lord must be a magnificent structure, famous and glorious throughout the world, I will begin making preparations for it now. So David collected vast amounts of building materials before his death. And if you study Solomon's life, he did. He built this temple. And this temple was absolutely amazing. It's like one of, in that day and time, one of the wonders of the world. Other leaders would come from other countries who didn't even believe in God just to see this temple, this Jewish temple. The queen of Sheba came and was just amazed and brought gifts to Solomon and said, what excellence have you done and you've, you've built this with? Not only that, but Solomon was probably the most prosperous king in Israel's history economically and the military. Everything was just flourishing under Solomon. And look what Solomon says. He writes about all this. In Ecclesiastes, the final book that he wrote out of the trilogy of books that he wrote um, in, the, in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes is what I call the Bah Humbug book. If you were here for the Grinch series a few years ago, we did a series out of that. Because at the end of his life, he saw things differently than he did at the beginning of his life. And look what Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 9. He says, So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me. That's a bold statement, but it's true. Solomon was at the top. He was the most famous person in all of Jerusalem. And I love what he says next. He says, and my wisdom never failed me. That's a pretty bold statement as well. I wish I could say that. I can't. I'm pretty sure you can't either. My wisdom has failed me many times. My wife has a lot of stories she could tell you. Some of y'all got that. Um, anything I wanted, I would take. Look at this. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing carrots. He says chasing the wind here, right? But it's chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Solomon got what everybody else thought would make them happy. He even did it for God. He built this temple for God. What a noble work, right, to build this Jewish temple. And he gets to it. He finishes it. He looks at his life. He sits back. He puts his feet up. And you would think the greatest amount of fulfillment ever would be in Solomon's heart. But then Solomon says, it's all meaningless. It was, it was, it was nothing was worthwhile that I did. It was rubbish. Now, for a moment, don't you think about what that will be in our culture today. I'm a big Star Wars fan. And I love Star Wars. My son loves Star Wars. Could you imagine George Lucas being interviewed on 60 Minutes? He says, what do you think about Star Wars? You're, you know, what was your life's work about? And he says, it was meaningless. It was garbage. Maybe, maybe Phantom Menace was. Maybe Episode 1 needed some work. Right, guys? Star Wars fans are laughing. The rest of you are like, well, I digress. But could you imagine George Lucas actually saying that? You'd be like, what? What's wrong with him? Why? 
Or could you imagine Walt Disney being interviewed at the end of his life and saying, well, what about Disney World and Disney and all that you've done? It's just garbage. I wish I had never created Disney. Could you imagine him saying that? This is what it was like for Solomon to say this. Because Solomon was chasing carrots. He thought that the more pleasure, the more wives <laughs> that you got, and we all know that one's more than enough. Amen, husband, say amen. No, don't, don't do that. You'll get in trouble. That he thought pursuing all of these things would fill his heart in life. And many of us have pursuits that we think if we just get that, then we're going to be happy, we're going to be full, and we will be fulfilled. And then why is it that the next pursuit comes along for the same thing? Because I believe the enemy of our souls has us chasing carrots. And here's what happens with these micro cravings of fame, and here's what it does to us. It actually hurts our faith. It hurts Solomon's faith. Solomon actually ended up veering from God, not living for the Lord, the more successful that he got. And it destroyed his faith. He wasn't faithful to God, and it will do the same thing to ours. So if you have your notes handy, write this down. Here's today's big idea. The pursuit of fame will destroy a pure faith. The pursuit of fame will destroy a pure faith. Because here's what it comes down to. All fame is, it's the, the desire for recognition, it's the desire for admiration, it's desire to be heard, to be listened to, to have attention from people. And any time that we want the recognition and attention and applaud of applause of people more than God, it will begin to erode our faith. Because you can't be Jesus says you can't serve two masters. You can't serve attention, all these cravings for, for this fame and for people noticing you and what they think about you. You can't serve that master and fully be faithful to God. And many of us are having our faith destroyed because it's a recognition battle. I mean, I mean, think about this. Jesus' first sermon ever, he dealt with this. The religious leaders of that day, the Pharisees, wanted the recognition of people. He said, well, why do you stand on the corner and pray loud prayers? Why do you make a show of these things? He says, because your reward is from people. And Jesus said, if you get your reward from people, you'll never get your reward from God. And they had an, a problem with cravings for fame, for what people thought about them. And so many of us have these micro cravings for recognition, for attention. And if you don't think you have it, watch this. The moment you don't get your way, how do you respond? The moment that you feel like you deserve that and you didn't get it, you're not validated by a person, you're not valued, how do you respond? And I'm going to tell you, I don't know anybody that responds well to that. We usually act out when we don't get those things. And so here's some wrong reasons that we end up pursuing these micro cravings of fame. Here's some things that I've struggled with and you may struggle, but the first one, as I mentioned before, is attention. We just want attention from people. Now, attention is not always a bad thing, right? Like, we need to give our children attention. Matter of fact, my, my son has learned the art of attention, and I can see that he does crave it. And here's how. Number one, he comes home one day with some money. He had changed. He's six years old. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, Lord, I hope he didn't rob somebody or beat some kid up for now. You know, but, but he says, hey, I, Dad, I made money today at school. It's like, how do you make money at school? 
He says, well, kids brought me money. I said, why did they bring you money? He says, well, they wanted me to tell funny stories. And so I told funny stories. They brought me money. <laughs> of course, we had to shut that down, right? We talked to the parents, and he wasn't telling them to. They just kept bringing change to him. He kept filling his change jar up because he got attention from them. He's like, hey, this is pretty cool. I said, hey, you could be a preacher. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> But then at home, he's understood that too. He's understood, he'll say, hey, 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 Dad, I watch this. And he'll act out something funny. He'll say, hey, look, I'm, I'm walking right now. Hey, I don't see this wall here. You see this wall here? <laughs> I don't. He'll hit it and fall down. And he'll just keep doing these scenarios over and over, these different ones, because it, it gives attention, especially when he gets in trouble, he starts doing that <laughs> to deflect. But friends, we do that. Uh, I have a joke, and it's actually truthful that usually social media, Instagram and Facebook and, um, you know, some of those other ones, maybe Snapchat or whatever, or TikToks, whatever y'all, you, the, the young people do. But uh, it's for attention. We should call it pity book. Because a lot of times we say we want prayer, we actually want pity. Now, sometimes we want prayer. Or maybe it's pity gram. Or maybe it's attention gram or attention book. Because ultimately, sometimes why we post what we post is we want somebody to show us attention that we desperately crave, and we're hoping. And if you're like me, you go through, as I said before, and you want to find out how many loves or likes. You know, there's actually people, I, I don't know about this, that, that go through and will delete a post if they don't get enough loves or likes on something because they crave attention. And I believe that it happens to all of us. I don't care how young you are. There's something about somebody giving you attention. Another reason, the wrong reason we pursue these micro cravings of fame is for self-worth. We're in a generation right now, to understand something, that our young people struggle with self-esteem and self-worth like no other generation. We live in this filtered world where girls are depressed because they look at these filtered girls and these pictures that are angles and everything else, and they look at themselves in the mirror, and they're depressed because they can't compare to the other person. And the self-worth is so low, and the self-esteem is so low because of all of this in social media. That young boys, I'll tell you what, what destroys their self-worth too. And if you ever have a teenager who's struggling desperately with depression, it's usually linked to pornography. And you need to check your children's phones and check their internet and things of that nature. It lowers their self-worth because they feel so ashamed after watching it. For adults, here's what we do. We want people to dictate our self-worth. We want our boss to give us an attaboy to actually make sure that we actually have self-worth or our parents. See, each one of these I'm going to show you, ultimately the only thing that will fill you is when Christ gives you these things. I've got the attention of my heavenly father. I don't need to try to get it. His eye is on the sparrow, amen? And he watches over me. He cares about every detail of my life. My self-worth does not come from any individual. My self-worth comes from Christ because Christ calls me a saint. He calls me redeemed. He calls me beloved. But what happens is the enemy has counterfeits he wants you to try to draw from, and he hangs the carrot out there. Not only self-worth, but also acceptance. We live in this world, we'll talk about this later, that, that we're in this cancel culture, that we all want to be accepted so bad. All want acceptance. From whatever group you're in, crowd you're in, whatever you run with, that we're unwilling to say things that are unpopular about Scripture. 
We're unwilling sometimes to stand up for something because we're scared we won't be accepted by other people, that we want acceptance. And so many, again, of our young people today that are just want acceptance. I mean, for me, that's what happened to me as a young person. I was, I've told you before, extremely obese as a child. And my, my friends were like these male models. Like they literally were just like the great, great handsome guys who played quarterback in high school. And, you know, just were amazed at everything they did. And I was like the kid who tagged along with them. And I always went to the movies with them. And they met girlfriends there. And I didn't have any girlfriends. You remember, remember, remember like going to the movies and meeting your, your friends there? Remember that? But I found out about attention and self-worth and acceptance in a bad way because my mom put the whole family on a diet. When I was a junior, I lost 65 pounds. I learned how to play bass and guitar that summer. I was skateboarding, played varsity sports, and I was all this, I was popular. I had attention. I had, accept, I had a self-worth. And here's what I learned. That they accepted me because of those things. And then when I got the beer, they're like, you drink beer before? I was like, yeah, I do. And I would chug one. Like, yeah, man, you're awesome. I said, okay, watch this. I can do three. I can do four. Oh, you think smoking that was cool? Look what else I can do. And that craving took me down a path I never thought I would go down in life because I was getting attention and self-worth and I was finally accepted. And I'm telling you in life, it will always leave us empty inside when we do that. And maybe one of the wrong reasons you haven't thought of, but it's being competitive. Like just being somebody who competes against other people. You think, well, I'm not competitive. You are. Because you're always comparing yourself to someone else. You're comparing your vacation to theirs. You're comparing your picture to someone else's. You're comparing your spouse to someone else's. You're comparing your body to someone else's. And we're competing with other people. See, for me, I'd love to tell you that after I got saved, that I didn't battle that anymore. That'd be great, right? To say, hey, after I got saved, man, I just stopped all that and I, I, and I, and I quit. But, but, but I didn't. It kept on. Matter of fact, it just always morphs to something else. I played in a Christian rock band, punk rock band, and I toured. And at first, when I started, it's kind of like Solomon. You have this noble task of doing something for God that's great. But here's what happened. The more I tasted the attention of people again, showing up to our shows, want me to sign autographs, taking pictures. The more success that we had, the more I just hungered for that. The gospel wasn't the main thing anymore. It was, I still, I mean, I still did that because that's what you do on the surface. But I'm telling you, in this at Christian music industry I was in, that was back burner. It was all about how many showed up, could we outsell, you know, at this venue, this other. And I fell into that. And it hurt me greatly. The very thing that if I thought, if I could just achieve this, I would be so full inside. And I was empty and emptier and emptier and emptier the more that I pursued it. And I had to make a change in my life. And friends, I think all of us have to make that change because the more you keep pursuing these things in life, the more you think, when, then, and I get this, and if I get more of that, I'll be full. That's when you'll find yourself empty. Jim Carrey said this. He said, I think everyone should be rich and famous and get everything they've ever desired. And then they'll find out that it's not the answer. And I think for us, we live with this endless pursuit of more. And what happens is we end up so empty, thinking that just when I get it, then I'll be happy. So here's what we have to do. And here's what I've had to learn to do, and, and hopefully you'll learn to do. 
But if you're actually going to win at life, you've got to take on Jesus' model. And it's this right here. To win, in order to win, you've got to be willing to lose. Right? Jesus is upside down stuff. You must be willing to lose in order to win. If you're going to win, you've got to lose. What does that mean? Jesus said if you keep preserving your life and living for these pursuits and, and living for, uh, for preservation in life and having this win-then mentality, he said you will actually lose your life. Now, he doesn't mean you're going to die. Like eventually you all will. But Jesus thought of something greater. You're going to live with an empty life. But if you lose and give up your life for the gospel's sake, then you will find it because you're going to have a choice to either make Jesus famous in life or get your own way and put yourself first. I don't want to be famous. Yes, you do because it's all about you in your life. You're the star of your show, and you want everybody to cater to what you do, right? That's, that's human nature. I've told you this before, and hopefully you're—what's our favorite radio station? W-I-I-F-M. What is in it for me? But in order to find the life that God gives us, it has to be about making Jesus famous. It has to be about the pure pursuit of saying, Lord, I want your will to be done. I want your glory to be shown no matter what it costs me and what it looks like externally. And friends, I would love to tell you that after the band days, I got rid of this fame thing, right? But can I tell you, one of the greatest struggles right now in the Christian world are pastors who are struggling with this thirst and hunger for fame. We are, it's an epidemic right now. I've never met so many pastors who are depressed, who are alcoholics, drug addicts. You'd never know it. They're eating themselves into an early death because everything they find in life is out there in the pews. It's what the people think about them, how many show up. They, and, and this is what happens in pastor world. We get around and say, how many are running? I, I just say, man, I'm running a lot of people off. That's all I know. <laughs> I mean, why is it that you find a pastor of a mega church dead in a hotel of a cocaine overdose? If the world tells you once you get to that point, you've made it. Why is it that we find out after someone dies of the string of affairs that went on and immoral behavior. Why is it those things even happen in ministry? Because they're chasing carrots, the fame. If I could just get a little more, a little more people, a little more stuff, a little more exposure, a little more likes and followers, then I'm really going to be happy. I'm going to be fulfilled. And friends, can I tell you, I've told you my story before about my depression and things that I went through with anger and frustration. I was chasing the carrot. And I made a radical shift in my life several years ago that I must be willing to lose in order to win. And what does that mean? I've got to lose me and this church being the main thing in life. Number one, Jesus has to be the main thing. So that's why we do what we do. That's why we give away so much to other churches. But Kevin, they're your competition. And, and what if those guys, what if, what if people start going there? Good. That's great. We're, we're losing. But, but you're losing. No, 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 no. But in order to win, you got to lose. You see what I'm saying here? But Kevin, you're giving money away to other churches, and you could be spending millions on lights and production lights. Oh, no, 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 no. But, but I don't win if I do that. Do you see where I'm going with this? That we have to make a radical shift about what success is in life and what fulfillment is in life. 
And Jesus gave us a beautiful example of that. And a matter of fact, John the Baptist is one of the best examples that you'll see. And if you have your copy of God's Word, turn to John chapter 3, verse 26. John the Baptist shows us that way. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. And before I jump into it, let me ask you a question. Do you know what John the Baptist and Winnie the Pooh have in common? They have the same middle name. It's a dad joke. I'm a dad. I just can't stop making those jokes. I digress. (laughs) But John was the most popular person that Israel had seen in over 500 years. Many thought that he was the second coming of Elijah. Like people would walk, travel for days to hear John preach. He had all these disciples, and some even thought he was the Messiah. They thought, no, 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 this is the guy. And then he baptizes his cousin Jesus, and the voice from heaven speaks down, this is my beloved son who I'm well pleased, and this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John says that to him. And, and then don't you see what happens next in John chapter 3? It says, so John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah is also baptizing people. Competition, you see that? Competitiveness. And everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. We're not getting the attention we used to have. We don't have the followers we used to have. And I wonder if John's disciples were struggling a little bit with self-worth. I wonder if they think that Jesus' church is better than John's church, right? I wonder if they think that the Nazarene church was better than the Baptist church. Okay, you didn't get that. So, Look what's happening here. And look how John responds to all of this. Jesus is getting more attention. Even his disciples, uh, John's disciples are leaving and following Jesus. And I love what Jesus says here. I mean, John says here, John says, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. Anything we have in our life, you're not a self-made person. The Lord decided to bless you with that. And the person across the street, God decided to bless them with that. And friends, that's why we shouldn't compare ourselves to one another because it's actually spitting in the face of God. That's why I don't compare myself to another church because anything we have here, the Lord has blessed us from heaven. Whatever my friend has down the street, the Lord has blessed them from heaven. John has so much wisdom in this. Amen. Verse 28 says, you yourselves know how plainly I told you. I'm not the Messiah. I wonder if they were kind of believing that he was. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success, being Jesus. He must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. That's not what the world tells you is success, is it? The world tells you more and more and more and better. That's success. And John says, no, 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 no. That's not true success. And then Jesus, so if you believe that more and having more stuff and who has the most money, the biggest house and the nicest cars winning, that's not what Jesus thought either. either. Do you know Jesus' ministry shrunk? It got smaller and smaller the more he did ministry. It didn't just grow and grow and grow. 
Like, matter of fact, at the cross, it was down to three people. There's a point in Jesus' ministry he decided to lose in order to win. John decided to lose his disciples in order to win for the kingdom, right? Jesus does the same thing. Jesus feeds all these thousands of people with fish and loaves, true you know, angel food. And they're loving it. And Jesus made a decision to call them out. He didn't have to. Like, he did not have to stir the pot. Things were going wonderful for Jesus at that point. Like, his momentum was almost unstoppable when it came to him versus the Jewish leaders who were against him. And then Jesus stands up after this sermon. I, I, can, just, I can hear his disciples going, no, 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 don't, don't, don't do that. Like it's, like, it's like our staff here going, Kevin, don't say that. No, 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 don't say that. They'll all leave. And Jesus says, I know why, why you guys were here. You all were here because you like what I fed you. But you're not committed to me. And Jesus said, if you want to be my disciples, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. They're like, whoa, I, I didn't sign up for cannibalism here. No, 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 no. But Jesus made commitment that I want you all in or you can be gone. Disciples are like, oh, Jesus, we've worked so hard for this. I want you to look what Jesus says in John 6, 66. Whoa, John 6, 66, right? Some of y'all got that. He said, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. In our eyes, we'd think that he was not being successful, right? But look, then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? He's like, do you also want to see where the door is at? Jesus didn't have to do that. But Jesus made a decision that he had to lose in order to win because the people that were in his circle weren't really committed to him. They just liked the stuff that he could give them. And see, friends, in our life, we have to do the same thing that they did. See, here's what John did. He made Jesus a greater priority than his platform. He made Jesus a greater priority than his platform. Jesus was the main focus, and he was willing to lose in order to make Jesus famous. You and I have to do the same thing. We have to be willing to lose in order to make Jesus famous. We have to lose our way and lay down the things that we want and lay down uh, our, some of our life in order to pick up the life that Jesus has. And John says, I want Jesus to be famous in my life, not me. And then Jesus made a decision to, in his life, Jesus made truth more important than acceptance. Jesus made truth way more important than acceptance. The truth was, and Jesus could have just never said it, but he did it. He went there, and all those people deserted him, angry, upset, disappointed. Jesus stood up for truth, and he said, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. Don't just come and hang out with what you can get from me. I want you bought in. And Jesus made truth that. See, in our lives, we have to do the same thing as well. We have to make truth the greatest priority of our life instead of just acceptance from other people. We're in this culture where we believe being accepted by people is the most important thing. If you're going to be accepted by God and sometimes follow the gospel and what Jesus has called you to do, it's going to, be, it's going to cause you to be rejected by people. And Jesus made that decision too. He laid, listen, they laid down and showed us the examples of laying down these micro cravings in our life of attention and self-worth and acceptance to gain what God has for us. And then finally, here's the decision both of them made that we've got to make. 
Stop desiring to be the hero of your own story and make someone else the hero. What does that mean? We have this sick idea in Christianity that we are the hero, that we're David slaying Goliath. We're Joshua conquering things. We're just, it's all about us. And it's not. You'll find the most fulfillment in life when it's about Jesus and about others. When you take the focus off yourself, when you're willing to lay down some things in order to gain the kingdom, when you're willing to say, you know what, I may not get the attention of people, but I've got the attention of God. I don't need self-worth from people because God gives me my worth, right? Because the more and more we pursue chasing these carrots, the emptier we're going to feel inside. What is it in your life that you think when you get it, it's, it's the next thing right now, the car, the house, whatever it is. Retirement, I don't know, wherever you're at in the stage of life. If you get it, then you're really going to just be happy. But until then, you're just not very happy. What is that? Deion Sanders is one of the greatest athletes of my era, Neon Dion. He was great at baseball and great at football. And he pursued a championship his whole life. And, and he tells the story that the night that he won the Super Bowl and the confetti all fell and, you know, everybody was just cheering. And he was just like, man, this is great. And he's crying with his teammates and so happy. He got home to the hotel room. And he said that he cried himself to sleep that night, not out of joy, but because he was so incredibly empty inside. Because he was always told, that's the echelon. You get that carrot and you've got it. He said the next day he got up, he was so empty, and he knew he had been chasing the wrong thing in life. And he gave his life to Jesus. He's been serving Jesus ever since. He said, that filled me up more than winning the Super Bowl. See, guys, you're going to leave this week, and you're going to be tempted to chase things. They're going to promise you something they can never fulfill. What is that for you? Let's pray this morning. Father, we ask for your help. We pray truly help us, Lord Jesus. Because some of us are empty. There's parts of our lives that are empty inside because we're chasing things. We're not getting the intention, the approval from other people, the validation, the value. Father, help us make a shift to be willing to lose those things to focus on your approval and to live a life that's focused on making you famous, Jesus. Help us do that today. Strengthen us this week as we leave this place. We ask for your Holy Spirit to do that in our hearts. And as we're praying today, church, and for those with us online today, maybe your step to be full is to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you walked away from your faith. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ right where you're sitting today. Wherever you're at watching online today, this is your day. I want you to pray this prayer after me. and saying, God, I admit that I am a sinner. I admit that I cannot save myself. But I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and he rose again on the third day to forgive me of my sins. So today, God, I ask you 
to forgive me of my sins. Today I repent and turn away from my old life and I receive your new life today. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your good name we pray. Amen.